listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. I think you know, uh, I, I mean, this is pretty obvious because we're all like fallen people, you know, in the history of the world, that Christianity in particular has always had its detractors, people who don't like it, who are against it, but I would say you could go way beyond that and say it's had more than just detractors, it's had people who flat out hated it, who actually feel like what they wish is, is that Christianity would be wiped off the face of the earth, Christians would be gone, and you know, I'm not exaggerating when I say that, you know this, persecution has happened from the 2,000 year ago beginning of the church, where Christians suffered horribly, and it's happened all through the ages, and it's shocking to me that it's still happening to this day. We live in it, you know, the culture we live in now, it seems like it just wouldn't be the case, but there are still in countries, you hear about this all over the world, Christians, because of their faith, who are being persecuted many times to death, people who are killed, who are sacrificed because of their faith, their belief in God, and you think that's crazy, but it still goes on. And you may not know this, but it actually continues even in peaceable countries like America. Now, not that we're being, as Christians, physically assaulted or we're being wounded by people in a physical way, but there are, in many realms, people who have such a distaste for Christianity that I think that it borders on, if not becomes hatred. I think sometimes, and this is not always the case, but sometimes, even in the ivory towers of higher education, sometimes Christians are treated with such disrespect, such such a venomous attitude that it's almost like they wish we would never breed again so that we wouldn't reproduce and there'd be no more of us and that we would just go away because how could somebody believe that there's a God? How could an intelligent person believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was? And this thing continues actually to this day. It's not everyone in higher education, but you often see this. And we're not, as I said, being assaulted physically, but I think it could reasonably be called in many cases... You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, they used to say America was a Christian nation, but the truth is, that's not the case anymore. And many times, if you follow Christ, if you talk about it, you're treated with great, almost enormous disrespect. And this has always gone on, from the inception of Christianity. In the earliest days of the church, there was a young man who had been raised in the Jewish faith. And he had such a passion for persecuting Christians because he hated the idea that people would believe that Jesus was the risen Messiah. He had such a passion for it that he actually wanted people to die who were Christians. And some of you know his name. His name was at that point Saul and then later became we would know him as Paul. And he first makes his appearance in Scripture in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. It's an ignoble appearance because there's a guy named Stephen who loves Jesus, and he's been talking about Jesus, but a bunch of people like Saul, or Paul, who had such hatred for Christians, they got so angry at Stephen that they decided they were going to kill him. And we'll just pick up the story and read it. This is found in Acts chapter 7. It said, they all rushed at him. They rushed at Stephen, this guy who was telling them about Jesus. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they're stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out. And this is what separates Christians, folks. This is so beautiful. As they're throwing stones and killing him, he cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin 
against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, he died. And Saul, what's the next word? Approved of their killing him. He approved of it. This was a guy who had such hatred, such desire to see Christian wiped out. He wanted blood. And then, as he continues on this rant, he'd made it like his personal thing. A remarkable thing happens to him that changes his life forever. Many of you are familiar. And now we pick back up in his story one chapter later in Acts chapter 9. And we'll read about this. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, what would be the Christian church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? Jesus replied this. He said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And then the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless because they'd heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So, so Saul, who's going around trying to get Christians killed, who's trying to get them thrown into prison, who's at the very least trying to wipe out Christianity, suddenly has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I don't think I'm exaggerating to say his life was turned upside down, inside out, and everything else. See, here's, here's something I've seen happen so many times in people's lives. You can never convince someone intellectually that there is a God or that Jesus is the Son of God. You'll never be able to do it intellectually. But when they meet him, it changes everything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you had an experience like that in your own life. You didn't believe in God. You could, but all your arguments faded away when you had an encounter with God. And Paul met him powerfully, and it changed everything about him. In fact, this guy went on to live his life out solely dedicated to sharing this love of Christ that he experienced for the first time that day on the road to Damascus with people everywhere. And he wrote letters which often inspired by the Holy Spirit, became part of the New Testament, the scripture that we read these days. And he suffered for it. He suffered terribly. One of the letters that he wrote was a letter to the church in Rome. And we call it the book of, can you tell me? Romans. And we're going to start a series this weekend, which will last for 11 weeks, and we're going to talk about the book of Romans. It's so powerful because in this letter, and we're not going to talk about every detail. It won't be a line-upon-line thing. But he left this profound legacy. This guy who had at one point hated Christianity now becomes such a passionate follower because he's met Jesus that it's changed his life. And he writes these letters to the church that have become Scripture for us today. And here's what I think when I read the particular book that he wrote of Romans. I think what Paul wanted people to see was how how much good there is in life because there's a God. How much good stuff there is. You know what I think? I think a lot of us, we say we're Christians, but we live our lives unaware of God's goodness and God's love, and we sort of walk through our days darkly, and we're miserable, and we're anxious. Come on, is there any truth in that? We go through our days, and we say, I, I believe in God. We'll tell people, I believe in God. I'm a Christian, all that. But we live our days darkly. And I think part of why Paul wrote the book of Romans is because he wanted us to see you don't have to live that way. There is so much good in life. There's so much good because of who God is and what he's done for you. And, and too often, though, we do this. So over the next 11 weeks, 
We're going to look at some of the stuff shared in the book of Romans, and that'll be the central theme for this series. And that's why I entitled this series, The Good Stuff, because there's just so much richness, so much good about following Jesus. And uh, this book reminds us of those truths that we should never forget. Now, a couple things that I want to mention to you as we go into this. Number one, this book of Romans, if you've been coming to TVC, you know that I'm not a line upon line, verse upon verse preacher anyhow, so I just want to be clear on this. This is a massive book of doctrine, and there's so much in it. And I would love, and I'll talk about this in a second, to have you read it and go deeper in it. But because of time constraints, I mean, each weekend we have X amount of time for us to talk about this. There's no way that we're going to do much more than scratch the surface level stuff of it. But I would love to have you, if you're interested, go deeper on this. Now, some of you would say, I want some deeper classroom kind of teaching on this. There's stuff like that. In fact, if you go out to the next step area after the service and you ask them, we put together a little list of some resources that you can tap that will help you with that. But our focus is going to be on kind of the bigger picture, the goodness of God, what he's done for us. And it's because I believe... I believe that it's the goodness of God that changes our lives. This is what Paul wrote in the second chapter, the fourth fourth verse. He said, can't you see that his, what's his word? His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. In other words, it's not God going, you better do this. It is the goodness of God. It's when we see his hand in our life, his work in our lives. So we're going to talk about the goodness of God, those things. We're going to kind of hit on the higher level issues. Second thing I'd love to challenge you to do is read through this. Read through the book of Romans while we're going through the series. It should not be hard. It's like 16 chapters. You can do this. And actually, there is. uh, we encourage people all the time to use the YouVersion Bible app. You can download that. Whatever your phone has as an app store, you will find the Bible app. It's got the icon like that. It's the YouVersion. And in that, they have all kinds of devotionals. And if you search, and there's a URL for this in your handout, but if you search deeper into Scripture... Romans, you will find one, and that is where you just read through the book of Romans in a 30-day period. So you're not even reading a chapter a day. Now, here's what I love about this. This is why this is so cool. This summer, we suggested, when we went through the series on the words of Jesus, Red Letter Days, we suggested to people that you do a, a similar thing where you read through the Gospels over the summer. My wife and I did that together. So this is what you do. You sign up for the devotional, and you do it together, And then you read it, and you have a chance to just share what God spoke to you. So often, you know, Anne would share thoughts that she had, and I would be able to see her thoughts. And then I would share, of course, my obviously deeper, more profound thoughts, you know, because I'm, you know, a super spiritual guy. No, I mean, so often it was like we would read something the other person had seen in the Scripture. It was just so cool. You could do this as a couple. You could do this as a life group. But I just challenge you to consider doing it. It's so good. And when you read Scripture, can I just say this to you? Don't get hung up on trying to understand every single thing you read. This is where many people go, I tried reading the Bible once. Dude, it confused me, so I just quit. You don't have to understand everything you read to read it. In fact, I would say this to you. If you think back to when you were a kid, you didn't know everything going on. You were listening to adults talking. You're like, I have no idea what they're talking about. But you didn't worry about it. You were learning, you were growing, you were developing, and you came to understand those things in time. And this is how it works with Scripture. And I often say to people, just just relax, because Scripture is different than any other book. It is alive. This is actually what the Bible says about itself. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is what? It's alive and it's active. I kind of say it's like it's pregnant. It's always giving birth to something new. Trust me on this. 
God will speak to you through Scripture as you read it, what you need to hear at the time you need to hear it. That, that was really profound. I think you missed it, so I'm going to say it again, all right? God will speak to you through Scripture what you need to hear at the time you need to hear it. If your heart is open, all you have to do is just read it. So I challenge you, read it. And then there's another thing I'd love to invite you to do if you want to, is we have, um, I think let's put that, uh, if you, if you guys can bring that up, there you go, text Romans to this number, and we'll send you over this season some different uh, just verses a couple a week. We won't hammer you with this. This happens over this 11-week period, and then it's done. But if you text starting this week, and you know, usually I don't do this very often because we just did it this summer, but we had hundreds and hundreds of people sign up, and I had so many people say to me, I love that. I'm going through my week. My phone buzzes, you know, or I hear the ding or whatever it is, and I look at it thinking, oh, who wants what? And it's God speaking to me. It's like a text from God, you know. And so it's such a cool thing. So you can sign up for that. Just so you can see it. Text the word Romans to the, the number you would put in for the phone number, 77948, and then you can be signed up for that, and we'd love to have you do that. So enough of that stuff. Let's just jump in. When Paul starts writing the book of Romans, as I said, we're not going to go line upon line, but I'm going to kind of hit some high points. But when you read the book of Romans, what you learn about Paul is he's one of these people that is never in doubt. He is so convinced of what he has experienced that he is over the top excited. He is so jazzed about this. And I mean, you have to understand that his writing this letter, this is so different than you go in a bookstore today or you go online and you look for books, so many of the books you see, these are written by people who have a contract with a publisher and they have a deadline set and they know that they need to build their platform and this is how they're going to make a living and all this is, a, you know, often writing the book is the result of I've got to get this book written so I can make a living and all this stuff. But with the Apostle Paul, he did not write stuff to make, his stuff cost him. He wrote this stuff, and in the end, it cost him not just being beaten at times and shipwrecked and all these other things that happened to him. You read about it in the book of Acts. It cost him, in the end, his life by the very kind of people that he had been. And so when he writes this letter, he's not writing it because he's getting a premium on each reproduction of the letter. He's not building his platform. This guy is writing it at a cost of his own life, and yet he cannot stop it. And so this is how he starts this thing out. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not, say it out loud with me, ashamed. I am not ashamed, he says. This is where a lot of people, they, they, they kind of fall down in this one because they don't want people to know they're a Christian because they might be made fun of, they might be ridiculed. They talk about persecution still happens. But he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to what? To everyone. To everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He says, it's the power of God. And I am not ashamed of this. And the reason he's so fired up about this, the reason that he's so jazzed about this, and this is kind of thematically all I really want to drive home today, is that what Paul tells us in this first chapter is so powerful. Just basically, this is the reason he's pumped up is because there actually is a God. There is a God. And I know some of you are going, well, duh, we're sitting in church. We know you think that. But that, I'm telling you, when you get that down on the inside of you, it makes all the difference in the world. There is a God. And when you understand that, when that is deep in you and you walk with an awareness of it, it changes everything. You're in some situation. You're like, this, I hate this. I don't want to be here. But there is a God. And he is for me. 
and he loves me, so it will be okay. There is a God, and that changes everything. And so he comes out of the gate really strong on this because this is, a, this is not a self-help book here. This is not a, Romans is not written to make you feel better about yourself. Romans is written to remind you first and foremost that there is a what? There is a God. And if you live with that awareness, it changes how you live. It changes how you think. It changes what you do. And these people who heard this, they understood why. I mean, some of the stuff he says, we're going to read some of it. Actually, in light of today's political correctness and all that, it sounds kind of harsh. But they understood, they, they were, the people in his day, they lived in an ongoing awareness that at any time an invader could come in and destroy them and kill them and take what they have and rape the women and take the children and all this stuff. They knew that all the time. And they knew there must be something more. There has to be and there has to be justice. And we'll talk about that next week. But there is a God. And that's what Paul is saying. There is a God. And so let's just read this first part of this. In Romans chapter 1, he writes, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what, now I want you to read this, since what may be known about God is what? It's it's plain to them. It's plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This is pretty powerful. What Paul is saying is, is you can deny the existence of God, but if you have your heart and eyes open, there are clues to his existence any and everywhere you look. Look at how it says the second two verses in the message paraphrase. I really like this. He says, the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. So you see nature, you see life around you, you can't necessarily see other things. You see those, it says, they can see what their eyes as as such can't see, eternal power, for instance, and the majesty of his divine being, the mystery of his divine being. So nobody, again, he comes back to this, nobody has a good excuse. If you are looking If you are open, what Paul writes here in Scripture, and I agree with him on this, is there to see. If you're looking, God is there to be seen. Now, to be clear, as as certain as Paul was, people have always loved to argue this. There's tons of people that contend there is no God. There are people that would say, I don't care about God, or they just ignore the idea of him. But Paul says, if you look around you, if you have open eyes, you're going to have a hard time explaining him away. Some of you have heard me talk about my uncle. Uh, he's passed away some years now, but as long as I had known him from my childhood until well into my years of pastoring here at TVC, my uncle was a person who uh, was clearly not a believer in God in any way. In fact, he kind of delighted in tormenting my mom, who was his sister because she was a passionate follower of Jesus, so he'd often make kind of sarcastic remarks, subtle stuff, but just little digs here and there, and I know it drove her nuts, but it was just who he was. He just didn't believe in God. He didn't see it. He was a brilliant man. He was, one of the he- he was ahead of one of the schools at MSU. Brilliant guy. So in later years, I was visiting with him one day, and um, 
he said to me, he was asking me about pastoring and what it was like and everything and God and all that. And he looked at me and he said, would you be willing to have some spiritual conversations? Just some conversations around, you know, spiritual things. And my first thought was, no. (laughs) Because you are brilliant and I am dumb. And I will be so far in over my head, I am not going to look good. I'm going to sound stupid. But see, what I learned years ago is you can never get people to understand God intellectually. So if it's going to happen, it's because they have an encounter with God. And so I said, sure. And we started meeting. And I will never forget this. And this is not verbatim what he said to me. Obviously, it's been enough years ago, and I didn't write it down. But this is the essence of it with me. I remember this so well because he, he looked at me at one point, and he said, Jeff, you know what? He said, I spent years denying that God exists. But now, now he said, I look around. I look at nature. I look at life. I look in the face of a child. And this is what he said to me. I can't help but see there has to be something more. I never saw it before, he said. I never, I never believed that it could be possible. But he said, now when I look, it's like I, be- I can't help but see that there must be some intelligent design. He didn't fully understand it, and he was clear with me on that, that he didn't get it all. But he said, what I refuse to see now, I can't miss. There must be more a God. And I remember when he said it to me, I remember thinking to myself how amazing it was that this man had spent almost all of his life saying there is no God, suddenly is having a God encounter because when you open your eyes, when you open your heart up and just say, I really want to see You can't miss the clues. They're all over the place. I feel that way on an ongoing basis. When I see sunrises or sunsets, anybody feel that way? It's like you go, oh my gosh, I see the hand of God. He's amazing. Every every time it happens, like a couple weeks ago, did any of you see that fantastical lightning show that we had in West Michigan? Oh my gosh. I'm 63. I've never seen anything like that in my life. It was amazing. For over an hour, we watched this strobing lightning show where these brilliant, I mean, I was trying to video, of course, you're in the dark. There was no rain and almost no thunder, but it was the most incredible thing. And I'm trying to, you know, video it so that, you know, I can share it. And of course, it's dark and it's, you know, it, it does, just does. And so it's like flashes of light. But I caught some of the most amazing lightning bolts that were like just huge in the sky. And it went on for an hour. And I remember thinking through it. God, you are incredible. I feel like sometimes I can't look, I can't look around me and not see the hand of God. Anybody feel that way? It's like everywhere. How can you miss him? I wonder sometimes how you can miss him. But see, the way God made us is that we get to choose. We can ignore his existence. We can deny his existence. We can reject it. We can be atheist by denying it. We can be agnostic by just saying, I don't know. We can just ignore it. We can act like it doesn't happen. But if you really think through I mean, if this is going to sound hard, but if you think through the idea when you say, I don't believe there's a God, think through the implications of that all the way to the end. And I think it's fairly profound, really. Honestly, I think when you realize there is no God, there is nothing, there is, there's nothing there, we're just chemicals, we're just DNA, we're just, you know, happenstance. When you really put it like that, it leads you to a place of darkness. It actually leads you to a place where the logical conclusion is, is there really, in the end, 
Does, it even, does anything even matter? I like what one person wrote. Uh, this is what they said, not from a Christian perspective, by the way. They wrote, if, if, if one put aside the existence of God and the survival after life is too doubtful, in other words, you don't believe there's God and you don't believe there's life after death and anything, okay, then one has to make up one's mind as to the use of life. You know, if death ends all, in other words, if that's it, if, if, if I have neither to hope for good nor to fear evil, I must ask myself what I'm here for and, and how in these circumstances I must conduct myself. Now he says the answer is plain, but so unpalatable that most will not face it. But then he tells us, there's no meaning for life. And thus life has no meaning. You take the denying of the existence of God, the the rejection of the existence of God, out to its end conclusion. Now, I understand some people just go, well, you know what, the the reason for me, you know, I'm just going to do my best to live a life. I don't believe there's a God, but when I die, I'm done. That's it. You know, I'll just do whatever I can. But when you hit that dark place in your life where the question why comes up, you have no answer. You have no why. And Paul says, but if you will open your eyes, you will see the why. There is a God. There is a God. And that makes all the difference in the world. If you open your eyes to see it, it's like amazing. Even brilliant people, even super smart people like my uncle, people like scientists who, who look deeply, when they open their hearts, they actually find it very hard to deny the existence of something beyond us being happenstance. I love what scientist Francis Collins writes. This is a great quote. He, he says, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, this is what he says. He says, it looks as if it knew we were coming. That, just think about that. The universe looks as if it knew we were coming. He says, there are 15 constants, the gravitational constant, various, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear force, etc. They have precise values. And if any one of these constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would not have been a galaxy, stars, planets, or people. I love that. It, it looks as if it knew we were coming. Yeah. Because there is, there is a God. And that changes everything about our perspective. It changes our life. And again, I'm not saying that people that don't see it are stupid or are are bad. I understand. Some people can be good people. They can be moral people. But when you have no belief that there is a God, when you get to that dark place where you say, why? You have no answer. Paul says there is an answer. And if you can open your heart and your eyes to it, you will see clues to him everywhere. Some of you have lots of questions about this stuff, and there's a great book. We actually have it in the bookstore out here. You can find it on Amazon. It's called The Reason for God. The author is Timothy Keller. It's a great book. It's a great book. But this is why Paul comes on so strong. He comes on strong because he understands that first, at a, at a, just basically at a foundational level, we have to understand that there is a God. Would you just say this out loud with me? There is a God. And when you got that inside, when you get that awareness and you walk through it, you don't like everything that happens in life. You're not happy about some of the stuff that comes, but you remember there, what? There is a God. 
And so that changes how I see life. It changes how I respond to things. It, it causes me to say, I don't like what's happening, but I will walk through this because there is a God and he loves me and he cares about me and he will see me through. It changes my perspective in every way in life. When you live in a deep connection with God, folks, this happens. This happens. You have an awareness that you have a purpose in your life. You are not just somebody that's at the top of the food chain looking to eat the next thing below you and feel good about yourself. And when you have no awareness of God, see, I'm not saying that everybody is like this, but when there is no God in your mind, when there is no ever after, when there's nothing like that, then what kind of moral code is there? There is none. You say, well, yes, there is. There's there's right and wrong. Says who? I mean, seriously, says who? There's really nothing. If there's no God, there's no purpose in our life. And so then it's just dog eat dog. Come on. It's just do what you get. Get what you can. Get as much of it as you can because you're going to die and you're not, you got nowhere to go. I mean, if I'm bigger and stronger than you and you look good to eat, I eat you. You say, that sounds horrible. Well, it depends on how you're cooked, I guess. I'm ju- I shouldn't have said that. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> I mean, you just take it out to its logical conclusion. But when you know there is a God, you understand that that God has a purpose. He's bigger than you. He sees what you don't see. I love this scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. This is God speaking. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. If you, if you have no awareness of God, then you're just, see, some of you, you, you would say you're a follower of Jesus, but you need to hear this. You've not been walking with an awareness of God. You've kind of been far away from him. And so you feel like your life is just one piece of drudgery after another. I get up, I go to work, I come home, I eat dinner, I go to bed, I get up and do it over again, and occasionally have a vacation or a day off or something, but... Otherwise, my life just, it's just this repetitive rat race stuff. Not if you walk with awareness that there is a God. That changes how you see things. Drudgery becomes more like adventure. It doesn't mean it's always perfect and easy. But when you remind yourself and you bring yourself up in that awareness, okay, I don't like this, this is hard, but there is a God. What are you up to? He has a purpose for your life. When you're aware of God, you are aware that you have purpose in your life. Second thing is, is that an awareness of God brings out the best of us. Can I just say it this way? You don't have to try if there is no God because whose moral code's right anyhow? I can just argue my own way. It doesn't matter what you think. But when you're aware of God, you are seeking to live a higher lifestyle. Humility has no place when there is no God because it's survival of the fittest. But if there's a God, humility becomes central and you give your life to others. It brings out the best in you. And I love that about Christianity. You know, something my mom used to say to me, and I, I never fully thought it through really until years later, but she'd look at me sometimes and she'd say, Jeff, if all this stuff about God wasn't true, and she'd say, it is, but even if it wasn't, she said, we are better people for it. Not better than others, but we're better ourselves because we seek to live God. I go through my days and I'm like, I get so angry with someone, I get resentful, I get filled with anger, and then I remember what God says because there is a 
changes everything. It changes everything. It gives you a sense of purpose. It, it brings out the best in you. Last thought is that it brings a sense of hope for the future. I'm telling you, I know some of you, you're in a dark place. You're in a difficult situation in your life. I get that. I know that. And I'm sorry. But when you walk with an awareness of God, what it gives you is the 30,000-foot view that sometimes you desperately need. You look down and you realize, this is a bump in the road. This is not all of my existence. And so I will hold my head up and I will walk through this and it will be hard. But after I've done everything I know to do, I will just keep standing because there, say it with me, is a God. There is a God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And I know some of you are saying, I still pretty much, Jeff, I'm agnostic. And I'm, man, I tell you, some of the nicest people I know are atheists and agnostics. I'm not belittling them in any way. I'm just saying my prayer is, is that they will, they will have an encounter like Paul did because there is a God. And thousands of people in this church family have had that God encounter. Can I just ask where you're at with it? You know, maybe, maybe you're a person who would say, I don't think I've ever really endeavored to try to connect with God. But you have a sense today that God's kind of knocking on your door. You're having an encounter. Maybe it's just a small thing inside, but you don't get it, but you know there's something there. You can step into that light. The same kind of experience that Paul had, that millions of followers of Jesus have had over the years. Maybe you're someone who say, you know, when I was 10, you know, I went to a Bible school and, and I gave my heart to Jesus and I've always said I'm a Christian, but Jeff, I'm not walking with God. I wouldn't know him if I saw him on the street. You can step back into that. So would you just do this? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And I just want to ask you, is it time for you to make that decision to change and give your life into the hands of the God that is, that has left so many amazing clues. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you where you're seated. If you just lift your hand and make eye contact, maybe you've been far from God, you, you decided to follow him, but you wandered away, and you realize you need to come back to God. Just, if that's you, just lift your hand up and make eye contact with me real quick, and we'll pray. I need to get right with God. Okay, just, yeah, just lift your hand up if that's you. I see it. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just lift your hand up if that's you. You say, man, I need, I need to do that. I need to get right with God. All right? Awesome. Who else? Just if I haven't seen you, just wave it at me. Okay? All right. Back there. Over there. Cool. Who else? Don't miss God if this is awesome. Awesome. I've wandered from God. I need to move back in his direction. I want to give my heart to Christ. Anybody else? Just wave your hand if we haven't made eye contact, and we'll pray in just a moment. Anybody else? Heads bowed, please. Eyes closed still. If that's you, if you lifted your hand, you, you know I can't do this for you. You just come to God now and just say, God, I cannot do this without you. I need you at work in my life. Just pray that I need you at work. I ask you to come in. Just tell him, Jesus, I ask you to come in and take charge of my life. I believe in you, Jesus. Tell him that. I'm asking you to come in and take charge. I give 
you my heart. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to have it figured out. This is just step one, but this is a huge one. Just pray that. I give you my heart. Come in and take charge of my life. And for those of you who prayed that, now I pray, God, for every person, even if they couldn't lift their hand, but they prayed the prayer, touch their hearts, grow them, help them to continue to take steps to build that relationship and live their lives with an awareness there is a God that you are, that they have purpose and hope and future. And all the rest of us, we just want to say, yay, God, for people making decisions for him. Such an awesome thing. Yay, God. So cool. Those of you who made decisions, and even if you didn't, we'd love to give you a book. There's a book called Seven Basics. You can pick it up at the Next Step area, the Information Center. And we have a group called Explore God that meets where you can get some of your questions answered about God. That meets every Sunday at 11. Typically, you can ask about it at the Next Step area or the Information Center. Let's stand to our feet and uh, just send you out with a blessing. May you go with an awareness that there, say it with me, is a God. May you go, may you know his peace and joy and live with hope and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You're dismissed. There'll be people in front who'd love to pray if you have a prayer need. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tvcweb.com.